Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello and welcome back to Back to Basics. Here with me today is Robert Purvey, who is a 30-year veteran in the sportswear and lifestyle industry. He has co-founded several successful startups and worked with some of the major sports brands in the world, like Reebok, Adidas, and Vans, to name a few. Hello, Rob, and welcome to Back to Basics. How are you? I'm very humbled and honored to be here with you. Well, I'm very excited because I don't know much about the sportswear industry and the lifestyle industry. And I'm sure that we have uh, listeners out there that are already saying like, mm, that sounds interesting. How did he get into that? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very curious and I want to start, you know, with asking the mandatory question here in my show, which is, Tell me a bit about, you know, who you were growing up. Uh, we're going to learn a lot about who you are right now. But who were you as a kid? Where are you from? All that exciting stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, I was born in a log cabin. No, that's not true. But um, <laughs> I, um, I actually um, was born in Pennsylvania, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to be specific. I had a very great childhood considering that I think a lot of other people who grew up when and where I grew up would not necessarily think it was a great childhood because mm -hmm. my city I grew up in is a, considered a pretty tough city. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely true. But I grew up in a very loving and strict household. Okay. I'm a byproduct of a single parent mom I was really fortunate because I had a super mom who was very, very talented. And she was really emphasizing a few key things. You know, one was education, mm -hmm. um, music, art, sports, and basically striving to be the best you can be no matter what was what the ethos of my household was. Now she, she sounds like a special mom for sure. Absolutely. And I had two moms because my mother had me relatively young. Mm -hmm. And her mother had her relatively young. Mm -hmm. So my grandmother was actually still inside the age group of a typical mom. Oh, my, wow. grandmother, my grandmother was less than 40 years old when I was born. Oh, wow. So you got two for the price of one. That's, that, <laughs> I, I that's probably why you define it as strict, too. Two, two young women chasing <laughs> after you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And what about siblings? Did you have any siblings? Yes. Um, my mom and dad, actually, they split when I was really young. So I have actually multiple um, half siblings. Okay. My mother had one, had another child when I was nine years old. And so he and I kind of grew up together. Mm -hmm. And my dad actually got remarried again. And I have a brother via his relationship. And we're very, very close. But my dad married a woman who was actually who is actually my age. Mm -hmm. So my brother via my dad is actually younger than two of my children. Oh wow! Well, 
<laughs> and my dad passed away a few years ago. So he and I kind of jokingly have a different way we reference each other because he calls me bro pop. And <laughs> okay. I call him bro son. Oh. He's lived with me um, a few times throughout the course of his life. So since he's in the same age group as some of my children, he's my brother, but I was kind of helping to raise him. So he's my bro son and I'm his bro pop. Well, I can definitely say that it's an interesting dynamics, but it sounds like one that gave you a lot growing up. And, and, and so your mom uh, instilled this love for music and arts and sports. Was that something that you were doing? Did you pick up an instrument? Were you involved? What sports were you involved with growing up? Um, well, you know, I played, a. I think the typical sports that you would associate from being from what we call the Mid-Atlantic. So I was a lot of exposure to, you know, baseball, basketball, football, um, also martial arts and just sports in general was something that was a part of the fabric of my upbringing. And I really am thankful for that because I played team sports and it made me kind of take that type of mentality and ethos. And I applied that to my business life as well. And being fortunate to get into sports where it was a lot of analogous things and I guess you would consider almost serendipitous things that went with working in the sportswear industry, but growing up playing sports on a pretty regular basis with my really close friends that I am still close to today. My best friend when I was in elementary school is still pretty much my best friend today. Oh, that's great to hear. And, and you know, you said something that it's almost like the mission of this podcast when you say the serendipitous, you know, that you were doing sports when you were young, but then this is now what you do for a living and you made a career out of it. Because in a way, I'm kind of, you know, set out to prove that people that have somehow translated those passions into the life they live right now, they, they have a fulfillment sense that maybe others don't have. The ones that we went on a job that maybe we weren't able to translate a lot of those passions into the life we lead. You know, it's interesting you said that because due to COVID, a lot of these type of conversations or things that you really realize about yourself, you know, become more conversational because you have a lot of time alone. You're just different for the vast majority of people you know, working remotely and even having this conversation that you and I are having is more common than it was, be, you know, pre-COVID. And to me, it's very important if you can, because I think it's so few people that actually work in an industry or do something that they like to do. Most people do something that they have to do. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of jobs that was what I had to do before I was able to do what I want to do and what I'm passionate about. And that's really important. And that's something that I really convey to my children as well. So there's a lot of diversity in what my children individually do because they all still chase their passions as well as sometime having to maintain a job because you have to pay, you know, you got to pay your bills and do all of the things that people need to do. And I think it's really important to try to make sure you, if you don't do what you love to do, at least try to make what you love to do a hobby. And hopefully, eventually, you can have the opportunity to do something that you're passionate about. I also believe that a lot of times you don't know what your passions are until you get more exposed to the world. And it's kind of like when you go to college, you think you want to 
major in something, but then you learn about other industries and disciplines that you didn't know about. So you then kind of switch. So, you know, sometimes before you go to school, you say, well, I'm going to major in business. But at the end of the day, maybe you ended up majoring in communication or something else because you may find some hidden talent or hidden passion that you weren't aware of because you weren't exposed. Yeah, that's such a great point. Just uh, I, I try to mentor uh, younger people. And just two days ago, I was having a conversation with someone who's about to graduate. And she told me, I just realized I don't think I like what I studied. And now she needs to find a job. <laughs> and she's yeah. like, I don't know if I want to find a job in my career, you know, in what I studied, my degree. But, you know, one of the things I told her was that sometimes it takes also opening your heart to the experience. Exactly what you say. You have to try things before you also decide that you don't like it, right? But but always with an open mentality that if you don't like it, you switch. That's not a big deal neither. You know, you, f you go find another job, another thing that you enjoy doing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the things I think about, and this is a conversation I had very recently, is a, I realized when I was developing and maturing that certain people, because of this, kind of myopic mentality that they may have, they don't know the difference between getting a job and having a career. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you need to have a lot of different jobs in your journey so that you can value when you have a career. I love so, that. I love that. So I take it for what you're saying that as you grew up, you took a, did, did you, what, what was that journey for you? Did you study something that you eventually used? Did you went straight into working? What, What did that younger Rob do? Well, I had my first job that I can mention, um, <laughs> legal aspect, when I, when I was 13 years old. Because in those days, growing up in Pennsylvania, you, you, you couldn't actually get a job until you were like 13 or 14 mm -hmm. years old. So mm -hmm. you had to get what we used to call your working papers. And I remember when I got my working papers, I actually took the papers to school so that when my friends saw me, I was like, yeah, you know, I got my working papers, so I'm going to get a job. So my first part-time job was during the summer break of school when I was in, uh, oh, like, I think I was, I was 13. So whatever grade you're in, then I think I was in like seventh or eighth grade when I had my first part-time job. In the summer. And it seemed like that summer did go by faster than usual because it was a job that paid every two weeks. And you're only, we were out of school for 10 weeks. So if you're getting paid every two weeks, you only got a few checks. Yes. So even <laughs> I had a job, I, and I thought I was, you know, going to make money, but I was, I was getting paid every two weeks. And the first payment, I'll never forget. They used to say we take one week and we put it in the hole. So I didn't get paid in two weeks. I got paid in three weeks because they held one week back, and then they threw the two weeks on top oh of that. Oh my! It seemed like I was, I was like halfway through the summer <laughs> when I got my first check. Oh. And the next thing you know, when I turned around, it seemed like it was time to go back to school. But I really did appreciate the opportunity of being able to brag to my friends, you know, I got a job. I work now. And, and that first check does feel good. You never forget the first time you get a check or you get paid for, for something you did, right? Well, I didn't get a chance to feel good because since it was my first job, my mom took the money and held on to it for me because she knew that I was like going to go out and just buy a bunch of crap <laughs> when I was 13 years old. So I, I, I wasn't liking her too much at that point when she was like, well, you got to give that to me and I'll hold on to it for you. And then uh -huh. you'll, you'll be able to use your money to buy school clothes. And I was like, oh, 
Well, so, yeah, I don't. I, I'm not gonna complain too much. My my son does a little modeling, and and he gets paid, you know, every time he does a commercial. And I have to do the same because otherwise everything would be gone in candy and 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 yes. toys he never plays with. <laughs> yes, yes. So you you can relate to what I'm talking about. So yeah. that was um, you know, that was kind of the genesis of it. And at that point in time, you know, I had a part time job when I was in high school. Uh, when I was in 12th grade, I actually was really fortunate that they had a, because you know, Philadelphia is a very blue collar city. So a lot of times they try to prepare you for the working world as much as they want to prepare you for going to college. So I kind of changed my curriculum when I got in 12th grade because my grades, you know, my, my GPA and everything was already strong enough for me to graduate when I actually got to 12th grade. So what I did is I switched my curriculum over so I could get into this kind of more blue collar program because it was a a class that they had called retail where they actually taught retail. And based off of what your grades were in that class is the level of job that the teacher would hand out to the students. But since my grades were pretty good, I actually got a job working part time in a shoe store. Okay. Not knowing this was a preamble to what was going to happen later in life. Yeah, I was so going to say, uh-huh, there's a shoe store. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, that shoe store was a shoe store that was a national chain all the way up until the early 80s, which was called Kenny Shoes. And so I worked in Kenny Shoes part time during the week. I actually worked as a stock boy. And on the weekends, which is obviously when the business is up, I actually had to wear a suit because in those days, if you went in a shoe store, the shoe, you know, the shoe salesman would have on a suit, you know, with the jacket, the mm-hmm. shirt, the tie, the whole nine yards. So, you know, being a senior in high school, I thought I was a super cool dude because I'm <laughs> a businessman. Yeah. And I was in the most popular mall in Philadelphia at that time. So a lot of people would actually see me in this shoe store with the suit on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I really did think I was a super cool guy with that. As we fast forward, you know, to get through a really long story. When the opportunity to get exposed to footwear, sportswear, again, as an adult post-school, I had a, an advantage because it turns out that this Kenny shoe store, they shut all of those stores down and they reopened those stores, but they reopened them under the name of Foot Locker. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, so when I got this job working at Foot Locker and it was I had become a parent when I was 23. So mm-hmm. I had to, you know, immediately think about buying Pampers and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. right out the gates. Mm-hmm. Took this job at Foot Locker and I was able to do really well quickly because it turned out the store was run exactly like that high school part time job, except the product was different. Mm-hmm. So the first day on the job, you know, they said, well, we're going to show you the system and how it works. And one of the things they want you to do is to take the inventory and put it back where it should be in the back of the store. So the guy said, well, I'm going to show you how it works. I said, no, let me just take a shot at it because they don't know about my high school job. That's not on my resume. Mm-hmm. So he's looked at me like, oh, this guy is really arrogant. <laughs> I said, well, let me just take a shot at it. And he said, OK, go ahead. So I went in the back and I was going like five minutes and I came back and everything was where it should be because it was run the same way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, he went in the back and you could tell he looked around like I'm going to see all kinds of mistakes. He came out. He looked at me like, wow. So the next thing you know, in a really short period of time, I was the assistant manager because um, I knew the system. In a really short period of time, I started meeting a lot of people who were the reps that actually come out to the stores to see how the product is doing. So the reps from Adidas and Nike and Reebok and all of these different um, what they call um, tech reps, mm-hmm. they all to the store. And I was re- we were, I was really fortunate because 
Um, Foot Locker is a company that was started in the Midwest. So they didn't have a lot of stores in urban communities. So I literally worked in one of the very, very few all African-American Foot Lockers that was in almost a suburb of Philadelphia. Wow. One day, my Reebok rep came to the store to say goodbye because she got promoted to a, a corporate job. And she was saying goodbye. And I said to her, well, who's going to replace you? Mm-hmm. And she said, um, I don't know, but they're interviewing people. If you want, I'll put your name in there. And I said, yeah, because I think I have the aptitude to do your job. Mm-hmm. And both laughed. She put my name in. And um, there literally was a cattle call, like similar to what probably your son goes through in terms of auditioning. Yeah, like a casting call, uh-huh. something like that. So, and, and the company was Reebok. And at that point in time, and a lot of people won't remember this because it's not really a huge brand anymore, but it was the most dynamic, fastest growing brand in the country during the 1980s and 90s. Oh, yeah. I wanted my yellow Reeboks. I remember telling my dad, I want the yellow ones, the flashes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it was it, that was definitely the deal. So when I went to this interview, at first of all, I had never met anybody that worked for any of the sportswear companies at all. Um, because, you know, growing up where I grew up in such a um, polarized city when it comes to ethnicities, I really had it in my head that there's no way they're going to hire me because, you know, I'm an African-American guy and this is a, you know, a, a white system, a white culture. Mm-hmm. So when I went into the hotel lobby and saw all the other people who were waiting to go interview, I really didn't believe I was going to get the job. I waited. They called me. I had to get in the elevator, go up to a suite that was, you know, in one of the higher floors in the hotel. Mm-hmm. I met the two guys that were doing the interviewing and without me really thinking too much about it, I was so convinced that they weren't, wasn't going to hire me. I actually interviewed, I interviewed them <laughs> because I had never met anybody from, you know, from the sneaker industry at all. It mm-hmm. was kind of weird because most people in their minds think they maybe make the shoes in the back of Foot Locker. Nobody's thinking about the whole processes that it has to go through over generally Footwear takes about two years, 18 months to two years from ideation to customer. So one of the guys had on a shoe that I read about, but I had never seen it because obviously working at those companies, they're wearing products that aren't available yet. And I looked at his shoe and I said, hey, man, do you have one? This shoe, that's the men's instructor you have. And he said, how do you know about this shoe? I said, I read. (laughs) And it has a certain technology on it called the collapsible traction system. Could you take your shoe off so I could actually see what the collapsible traction system is? Because <laughs> in the pictures that I saw of the shoe, they never showed the bottom. He said, yeah, because we didn't invent it yet. We talked about it. But when we took the when we did the photo shoot, we couldn't show it because it didn't exist yet. Oh, so wow. Showed. And I didn't know I was actually getting a job right at that point. That's amazing. What a great story. You know, and, and, and I wanted to stop you before, but I, I, I let it go because I knew I can I can connect the dots that in, in all you've said, you showed proactiveness from the moment that you said, let me take a shot at, at going back, you know, in the back and fixing all the, all the shoes. And this is something for the young audience that sometimes listen to the show is don't be afraid to just take initiative because I think what the world is lacking these days is is assertive initiative. You know, it's not about doing something just to show you can do it. It's knowing it when you know you can shine at doing it. 
Absolutely. And, and that put you already in a position where you were on the radar for someone and then telling the person that was leaving their job, hey, are you leaving? You're creating conversation. You're, ex you're creating possibility for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that that's amazing. But also, I have to say, interesting how we put labels on ourselves, because you told the, the rep, I know I can do your job. But the moment you saw the environment you were in, there's yeah. this label in your head that was attacking you and saying, now you're not going to get it because this is, you know, the white culture. Right, exactly. And this is so important because for anybody out there listening to this, You have to fight those labels because if, he, if, if you had surrendered to that thought before you went into your interview, you wouldn't have be, been where you are. Well, you know, it's interesting you said that because the reason why I actually went is I had a very, very motivating girlfriend at that time who eventually became my wife and later on became my ex-wife. <laughs> She, even, I, When I told her that I didn't think it was a, worth my time to go to the interview, she said, why would you think that way? If they're not going to hire you, make sure you experience them not hiring you instead of assuming that they're not going to hire you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that so, changed your trajectory, probably that advice, because oh, then, then you went. And this is why I want to emphasize. I hear it so many times. People saying, why would I do this if this is going to happen? They already are deciding what is going to happen and they check out of the opportunity. So exactly. I, I, lo I love this story. <laughs> well, it, well, it, well, it got even crazier because. <laughs> Go ahead. This is what we're here for. I love crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it got crazier because what happened was, uh, you know, long story short, I ended up going back to work at Foot Locker. And the Reebok movement was so strong that that experience I had in that hotel, they were doing that across the country. Because the brand was growing faster than the amount of people they had working there. So my boss at Foot Locker, he came to me and he said, I'm, I'm sure you've heard about all of these interviews that Reebok is doing with people. And, you know, we don't, we don't want to lose anybody. And I lied. And I said, oh, I heard a little bit about that. But, you know, I'm, I'm in it to win it. I'm here, man. Don't even, you don't have to worry about me. Because I still believed I wasn't going to get it. Mm -hmm. So the phone rings at work and you know, you got to answer the phone because people are calling in and asking, do you got different shoes and all of that type of stuff. And the company was run so well that you had to have a very exuberant type attitude when you pick up the phone. because it could be the district manager. And if you don't pick up the phone and say, foot locker, can I help you? You don't act. And if it's the, if it's the district manager, it's like, Oh, wh why are you not answering the phone the right way? <laughs> I'll pick up the phone and I said it like that. And it turns out it was the guy that interviewed me. He called me at work. Oh, and, and he said, uh, and when he first said, is this Rob Purdy? The first thing I thought it was maybe the student loan people, because I was behind on my student loan payments. <laughs> so I, almost, I was thinking about saying, no. no. This <laughs> 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 Another thing that changed the trajectory. Yeah. <laughs> so so, <laughs> yes. so I, I was really, really fortunate and blessed. And I said, yeah, this is Rob Purdy. And he told me who it was. And he said, listen. You know, we want to offer you the job. Are you interested? So when he said that, I was like, oh, my God. But mm -hmm. I said, possibly. But I'm saying, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just trying to be coy right of now. Of course. Right? And he said, we want to offer it to you. He said, the thing that you have to understand is we're moving really quickly. You will not even be able to give your job a two-week notice. You have to tell your job that you're going to take this job, you know, as soon as you can tell them. 
And uh, we're going to actually have an airline ticket waiting for you at the airport. We're going to fly you up to Boston. We're going to bring you in. You're going to do orientation. And you'll get started like almost as quickly as we could get you started. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. But I had just told my boss what I told my boss. (laughs) So then I called him and I said, man, I have to apologize. I did go and do the Reebok interview and I actually got hired. And he was very, very understanding. He oh, that's good. He was very understanding. And it was a good thing he was understanding because the store that I worked in was assigned in my territory when I got the job. So I had to go back to the store that I used to work in and I had to present Reebok to the store and all of the people that used to work for me in my store, which you can only imagine, they were teasing me oh. relentlessly, but it actually ended up going really, really well. That's great. And you were you were honest about it. I think you could have gone around so many other ways where you people would lie about it, but you you came through and you told the truth that saying I actually did go and and this is what happened. I did. I did. So, you know, I did that job for it was really one of the most favorite jobs I ever had because I they, the territory they gave me was Pennsylvania over to Penn State, which is the middle part of the state. They gave me Delaware, which is the state below us. And I got all of New Jersey and I occasionally used to have to go to New York because when it was a big, big event and they needed more reps to Mm -hmm. support the New York group, I would go there for that as well. So it was really cool. A lot of fun driving around, just going, you know, just being pretty much the ambassador for the brand. But every time I went to corporate, they would also talk about different job opportunities for you to become a corporate person. So typically when they said they were looking for sales guys, people would put their hands up, marketing people, so forth and so on. But they were very desperate in getting people to move to the far east to work in the factories. Mm. And I kept volunteering for that. And they kept looking at me like this dude don't understand what he's volunteering for. (laughs) And um, again, to make it a shorter story, uh, I ended up living in Asia with my family because I ended up getting married and had kids and I I ended up being the first African-American family in the entire footwear industry to live in Asia. That is amazing. That is amazing. It was a couple people who did it before me, but they all did it single or they were maybe married, but I was the first to do it with wife and children. With your kids. Yeah, it's a big move. I can only ma- It's a big move already for, you know, it's, it's a different culture. So unless you are from that culture, it's almost, it's, <laughs> that's it. You're a minority. <laughs> right, right, right. So, you know, so we moved there and, you know, we lived in uh, Busan, South Korea for a couple of years and I got promoted and we moved to Bangkok, Thailand. And while we were living in Bangkok, Thailand, we also had the responsibility of overseeing manufacturing in Indonesia as well. So it was pretty cool. That and is I was, amazing. That that was really, is- I did all of that. I was still in my 20s. So, you know, was- I know I was about to say you were pretty young by then. <laughs> so I can only imagine you're still young now, but I can imagine when you read, you know, your background, that's why I mean, you have a stellar background and, and that's how it is. And. And it's amazing because it's you. It sounds to me you allow you allow yourself to go where opportunity took you, Absolutely. and you weren't shy about you know standing up for it and saying, "Yeah, I, I can do that." Absolutely, absolutely, and, and you know, and again, a lot of that was passion because you know, you know, playing sports, and you know, I wasn't good enough to play at a professional level, but lo and behold, without me really realizing it, there was a different plan for me that I didn't know because today. Here we are, you know, 
30 years later, as you said, at the top of our meeting, um, it worked out better because it had I become a professional athlete, I would been, have been out of sports for quite a long while now. So I'm still in the game to a degree via the sportswear connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you had that life in corporate. I know you work with other brands. So let's fast forward a little bit about where are you now? You you got into startups. Was there a moment where you stopped enjoying maybe the corporate world or, or being overseas? What trans- I, I'm interested about also the transition and the times where you say, maybe I'm not doing something that I'm happy about, or you were always convinced this is the route. Well, it's funny you said that because it was almost like, you know, I was pulled in two different directions. I really enjoyed the corporate thing because learning, it was a learning process. Because by me not, you know, having one particular type job and getting different types of opportunities, I was subliminally developing the disciplines and understanding of the industry that would, that gave me the courage to do things entrepreneurially. Mm-hmm. I always kind of would struggle a bit because the footwear industry is so well-paying. It's a lot of people that are there because of how much money they can make and they really don't care about the product at all. Mm-hmm. And my mother was actually a designer. So when I said art, it was the versatility in my home was crazy because my mm-hmm. mom, actually, she used to cut glass she used to lay carpet. She would paint the house, but she would also paint portraits. She was a sculptor. She was a model. She was an athlete. Wow. She was a musician. So all of those different things made it so that I would look at different parts of the process and say, well, I want to learn that now. Because generally, if you're a designer, that's what you do when you work at the company. If you're a production person, that what you that's what you do. But I touched all of the disciplines. And a lot of times, because my ethnicity is who the target is in the sneaker industry. I would be in these corporate situations looking around saying, I already know that no one's going to even like that shoe even before you finish making it because you don't understand what we looking, what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. So when I had the first true opportunity to go out kind of on my own, it was again, something that I wasn't thinking deeply about, but I was a part of the very first sportswear brand that actually did e-commerce. Okay. And that it, we failed miserably because we were the first sportswear brand. <laughs> yes. <commerce>. So, <laughs> Inevitably. So it only lasted about three years, which, you know, was, was pretty cool. And that kind of made my name somewhat um, available in the tech space, the mm-hmm. tech space that we talk about today. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that didn't work out, I was still married at that time. My ex-wife, one day she said, I don't know what you're trying to prove, but he's putting peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We need to be able to eat some steak or something at some point. (laughs) Can you go back and get yourself a corporate job? And I pretty much returned to going back into corporate America when I had a very short stint. It's not even on my resume because it was a short stint at Skechers. And I left Skechers and I joined Vans which was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had corporately. And I worked at Vans in charge, in charge of product development, working with a lot of people that I actually had already worked with at Reebok as well. So it was a very comfortable situation. And it was an amazing situation in terms of where Vans was when I got there and where they were when I left. So it, 
I came back and I didn't realize it, but it was me getting further corporate education for when I'm going to spin off and go back into, you know, entrepreneurial situation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was a great experience. And then I went on after that to um, work at a, a, a basketball brand called And One, which was cool because, you know, basketball was one of my passions. And I love running and running shoes. And I went on to work at another brand called Hoka One One, which is an amazing um, running shoe company that is on fire now. And since 2016, I've actually been doing some of the things that my bio showed you that I'm doing. So I've been a full-time consultant, entrepreneur person since 2016. That's great. I mean, it's an amazing story. I think uh, you're already... I, I inspire me and I'm inspiring others to see how many opportunities can arise and, and, and how is it also about timing? Because I think for what you said, you were a Reebok right when it exploded mm -hmm. and advanced right also when it was a great time because we are all familiar with these brands, but the times that you were there, maybe that's the reason you were there <laughs> and they were you know, exploding. It was it was a great team. One of the things I never talk about and I never say I, 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 because I find when you look at so many different processes that is necessary in the footwear industry in particular, and like most industries, um, when you say I did this and I did that, it kind of is weak because you, it wasn't you. If you did it all by yourself, you should say I, but you should always try to say we. Because mm -hmm. I actually worked at some other brands as well, but I didn't want to turn this into a commercial. So... <laughs> 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 so I got a chance to really learn a lot about how important culture is. And one of the things that I learned, and it really was a pleasant surprise, that if you never come in contact with the president or the CEO of a company, you don't realize that the culture that that person who's at the top, the culture that they initiate becomes the culture of the whole company, even if you never come, come in contact with that person. Yeah. So that was a very learning, a big learning for me throughout this journey is how important culture is and how important some cliches are, because everyone should treat people the way they want to be treated. You hear people say that all the time because it, it's become a cliche, but it, it nothing could be more true. Yeah, I think that uh, they also they're leading by example, right? If, if whatever, whatever you they do at the top, it trickles down if it's done properly. And so you, you eventually either identify with that or you're not a good fit for that company at that moment. Absolutely. So, so in your opinion, in, in, in all this journey that, that you take in, what, what do you think are the secrets? What's the secret sauce for, for success and for living, living the, a life you're happy with? Well, you know, I think for me, This, the secret sauce is the sauce that I now know what it is, but I'm still working on actually practicing what, what people preach. I think when I look at my background in my life, I was less than a great husband. I think I'm an okay father. I really prioritize career because being having the challenge of you know, being African-American in a corporate situation, that compelled me. And that's what I was focusing on without conveying that because I have truly a list of friends that look like if I pulled all my friends together right now, you think it's a UN meeting. <laughs> so, you know, living in all of these different parts of the country of and in other parts of the world, 
and tr- trying to treat people the way I want to be treated, sometimes catching some initial negativity. But when you're consistently ignoring the negative and trying to always be positive, occasionally, not often, some people who are really negative, they actually come 180 degrees and actually end up becoming your friend. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that's important. So I think balance is really the key to the secret sauce. How you share yourself as in your personal life and how you represent yourself in your professional life is the challenge that I think not many people actually are able to execute successfully. Wow, you know, I think thanks. all of us hear about a billionaire that got divorced and you go, How, what, what? He's a billionaire. Why would that happen? <laughs> but he's still a human being or she's a human being, whatever the case may be. And, you know, those challenges probably intensify tremendously as you start moving up the, the, the ladder in the wealth world. Absolutely. I think that's so wise what you just shared. My, my father, who's also an entrepreneur, he, he, al- he has always told me, and I work for the family business, I could have had a triple, a, a company that is triple the size that we have right now, but I wouldn't have the family I have. Exactly. And uh, he made that conscious decision at one point in his life. And I think that's um, a piece of advice that you just gave is very valuable because I think a lot of people, including me, we always struggle with the family uh, life balance. And, and me and my husband always have that conversation like, yeah, you can have more money, but we have more time for the kids. No, then we don't want it. Exactly. It's hard because you have your ego that wants to do better. Right. And you want to advance and you want to do great things. Oh, yeah. We have our ego for sure. <laughs> yeah. So so as we approach the end of the interview, uh, Rob, I'm wondering what exciting things are you working on that you want to share? What's on your bucket list? What, what, what do you, you have an open microphone to, to share anything that, that you're working on that you're excited about? Well, well, you know, all of them are passions for me right now. And, you know, for one of my primary business partners who is a serial entrepreneur, And the term pivot definitely applies to us. We started off with an app and he's a code writer, so we didn't have to get a third party to help us. We started with an app that finds every public and private basketball court, wherever you are in most of the free parts of the world and ended up winning best mobile app at CES several years ago. But we pivoted from that to creating a very boutique um, sports focusing initially on basketball, but a a sports marketing firm and storytelling company, interview company. And from there we pivoted and we have a a small but somewhat successful boutique footwear brand called TCG. And and anybody that wants to go to the website can check it out. It's TCGLosAngeles.com. And TCG is an acronym that means it is thoroughly crafted goods. We started off primarily just with footwear and everything, but we sell a few other items on. As a matter of fact, you commented on my shirt when we first got on here. Yes, yes, I did. For a company called Brand24, um, a phenomenal brand that's a men's button-down shirt, but it has a lot of the functions and features that you get in performance wear. So, you know, this helps you. You can actually sweat a little bit in this, and it's going to absorb that. And it's antimicrobials and all of that type of stuff in here. And so That's great. And other products that we sell on TCG as well. Uh, I also became very involved with um, a brand that is really taking up the majority of my passion right now, or a lot of my passion right now, which is a company called Algenesis, which is 
um, founded at um, UCSD, University of California, San Diego. And basically, the whole raison d'etre of what that company is about is to be able to provide the world with a biodegradable, renewable polymer, meaning in lay terms, a plastic that actually can return to the planet as opposed to all of this plastic pollution that we're not really talking about, but is one of the biggest problems on our planet right now. Uh, that's great. And I'll have all those links on the on the show notes so that people can check it out. But I think that mission on sustainability, it's really right on target with, you know, feeling good with what we do, but at the same time, staying true to what you enjoy. Yeah. And I feel really blessed that, you know, I didn't even know all of these years when I was working on different footwear. And I did I did some things in apparel and some other, you know, disciplines as well. But I didn't realize that I was actually one of the people who was contributing heavily to this plastic pollution that we have. So I feel good about the fact that, you know, I always tease the founder of the company and I say, you baptized me. And now I'm really on that journey with that group while trying to just share the knowledge and the information to how important this is for us to work, you know, talk about that stuff. So it's a few other brands that I work with as well. Uh, I try my best to help those who have great ideas that don't necessarily know the business way or how to take those ideas and turn them into a reality. That's great. Well, so if anybody's out there, you know, with a uh, sports related or lifestyle related ideas, definitely check uh, the links on the show notes. And to end, I always ask my guests the, yes. the million dollar question. This is about staying true to your essence, staying, staying true to what makes you tick. In those times of despair, where you feel disconnected to yourself, where you, do you have anything that you do to say, ah, here's Rob. I, this is what I love to do. I feel alive by, by doing this. Well, one thing is remembering things that I should have mentioned earlier, because if it wasn't for Next Up Partners, I would not be on here with you. Huh? So I have to mention that because <laughs> I wouldn't even be knowing you if it wasn't for Next Up Partners. So you had me talking about the past so much, I didn't get a chance to really talk about the right now. Uh, there so you go. <laughs> shout out. And we got to make sure that they're in there because I love being a part of that group. It's been relatively new, but it's been super, super exciting so far. Absolutely. And so Joe, there's your, Joe and Next Up Partners, there's your shootout. Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And, you know, I think that, um, the, I think I kind of spoke to it during the course of this. I think it's really, really important, especially nowadays with what we're going through, is to really value your family. And I think that there's one thing that probably came out of, you know, this shutdown and all of us being, you know, insular. I do believe that in many, many cases, and this is an assumption on my part because it definitely applied to me, it gave families the opportunity to become families again. And, you know, as bad as things have been, because it's been pretty bad, I think it really helped a lot of people. And if it didn't, and if I'm saying this right now and it's helping somebody, I hope so. But allow these, this shutdown and all of these constraints. You know, the other day, I just became a grandfather recently. Oh, congrats. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And family came out here to visit. But the family, when they walked in the door, they had their COVID tests in their phones and showed it to us before they even hugged us and shook our hands. It was like, we got tested. We got tested. <laughs> So, you know, we were really looking out for the infant, yes. you know, and yes. those 
you know, in a negative way, in a negative time, you got to figure out a way to do some positive things, or at least to have a smile on your face like you have right now. Oh, thank you. So, <laughs> I think things are important and chase your dreams. And always remember when you can't chase your dreams, do what you have to do until you can do what you want to do. And that's really important. Wow. I love that. Thank you for that thought. You yourself have inspired me and I definitely will uh, check out all the, the good sportswear and the, and the shirt for my husband. I'm probably going to go and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so I wish you best of luck, Rob. Keep it up. I'm sure that uh, your journey will be continued to be very, very successful. And, uh, you know, you have a, a friend here at Back to Basics. That's awesome. It was great to meet you. Great to talk to you and have a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. And until the next time. Bye.